What's going on, man? Welcome back to the channel. Welcome back to the basement. Omron, and today we're gonna get into my top five lessons learned from fantasy football. As long as my phone does not blow up from NBA notifications, James Harden just got traded to the Brooklyn Nets for like four first rounders. There's four teams involved. I'm getting Waj bombs. I'm getting Shams bombs. I'm getting everything you could possibly think of on my phone right now. So I'm just hoping it doesn't turn off while I'm recording. Yes, we've got all these basketball things going on, and I'm probably gonna cover them in the near future. But we're gonna sit back, relax, take a take a deep breath from all this NBA news. And we're going to talk about the things that we learned from last year in 2020. Now, if you want to keep on little broing your your league mates in fantasy football, you got to look back at the season and you got to learn from it. And not only learn from it, but you have to subscribe to good YouTube channels too. So if at any point in time you fucked with the content, you fucked with anything I said in this video, make sure you go down below, leave a like, comment, subscribe, join the Discord. Just be a part of this community, man. Now, before I ramble on any more, experience tranquility. Let's go. First thing that I learned in fantasy football this year is that mobile QBs are fucking, fucking gold. gold. Eight out of 12 of the top 12 quarterbacks in fantasy points per game finished in the top 12 in rushing fantasy points. Rushing fantasy points is a weird stat for me to use for this, but I want to I wanna give the full picture of rushing yards and rushing TDs. One point per 10 yards, six points per touchdown. These guys are all mobile. The average top 12 fantasy quarterback rushed for 333 yards and 4.5 touchdowns, and that would have finished as the QB8 in rushing fantasy points. So everybody in this top 12 is a rushing quarterback. They get rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, rushing fantasy points for your team. And the only non-mobile quarterbacks in the top 12 were Tom Brady, Big Ben, Aaron Rodgers, and Kirk Cousins. The only player that was an outlier in that situation was Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers like the QB4, QB5. Kirk, Big Ben, and Brady were the bottom three of the top 12. So of the top nine, eight of them were mobile QBs and it was just Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. So moving forward, if I pick a quarterback, it's going to 100% have to be a mobile QB. I wish I saw it coming. Like, this is, it's just a, a bonehead move to not prioritize rushing upside with these quarterbacks. Rich Rebar, he coined the term Konami code quarterbacks, and that was for targeting young QBs. Like when we targeted Lamar Jackson uh, as a late round quarterback, what was that, 2019? So he was the, the late round quarterback 2019 purely because of his rushing upside. But now instead of just using it to target guys later in the rounds, like Daniel Jones was last year, we should be using it across the board. It shouldn't just be quarterbacks that, that improve from the, the later parts of the round. So quarterbacks that are past round 10 that, that make it into that top five, top 10 are usually rushing quarterbacks. It should just simply be that quarterbacks that are top 12 in points per game are going to be rushing QBs. And I think that it's not just that we're saying this out of the blue. It's the way that the league is trending right now. If we look at the young quarterbacks in the league right now, we have Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, all on the way. They can all scramble. Then you have Justin Herbert, Burrow, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, all guys that could scramble in the two classes before them. These quarterbacks that are coming into the league can rush. Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. Most of the quarterbacks that are coming into the league have rushing upside, and the only ones that don't are the old ones from the past era. Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, Big Ben, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Big Ben are all from a, like a, a whole other era than what we're in right now. They're on the, the back end of their careers. What we're This new era we're moving into, it's almost a prerequisite now that your quarterback has to be mobile. Because the last quarterback I can remember that was purely a pocket passer and had no mobile ability at all was Dwayne Haskins and, and we know we know what that man has accomplished where his career has gone the Jamarcus Russell type career arc that he's on just blowing money on strippers after like a, a one touchdown three interception game his career has been has been poor and I think that because he hasn't been able to rely on his legs as much his whole career has just kind of fallen apart I'm a guy that takes quarterbacks late I also take tight ends late I'm a guy that likes to just sort of punt both of them just stack up RBs wide receivers those are the most 
valuable positions in all of fantasy. But I think that something that I was overlooking for sure is that tight end ones, like the elite of the elite, like top two, top three tight ends are just as valuable as any other position. I, my guys were Mike Gusecki, Hawkinson, Chris Herndon, Noah Fan, John Smith, and Blake Jarwin. Only two of those six guys busted. The rest of them finished in the top 12. So that was my advice to you guys if you guys were following me or subscribed to me in the offseason. And they, they worked out fine, but they didn't give you the same edge that a guy like Travis Kelsey did. Because I, I, I was really big on the idea that fuck all tight ends, fade off tight ends until the double-digit rounds and then just grab two, which is fine. But I think that we also have to account for you should, you should be getting the guys at the low. I said fade the guys at the middle, but I didn't say anything about the guys at the top. I wasn't taking a lot of Kittle or Kelsey. I think I had Kelsey on one of my two championship teams, but he wasn't a guy that I was targeting the offseason. He wasn't a guy that if you look at my draft guide, I'm going to put my draft guide in the description just so that you guys can kind of see, just to kind of, so you guys can kind of hold me accountable. But like I said, I missed out on Kelsey besides in one league. And in that one league, if you had Kelsey, you felt it. Like you've, you felt the kind of advantage you're getting over your league mates. If you had Kelsey, you were probably in the playoffs. He's also winning you fantasy games. Of the 17 guys drafted ahead of him, he was drafted at the 18th pick per ADP. So that's like the middle of the second round. Of the 17 drafted ahead of him, only Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Devontae Adams, and Tyree Kill outscored him. If you picked him at the 106, it would have been the best possible thing to pick there. Now, not only that, he finished as the wide receiver three in the RB4 in fantasy points per game. So if you're getting a top five RB slash wide receiver production from your tight end, you're not only getting a, a top five RB slash wide receiver, but now you have that in your tight end spot and you can start five running backs and wide receivers. You're getting an edge where you don't have to punt one of those with a shitty tight end. Tight ends, they're, they're so hit or miss from, from week to week. Even if you get a guy like Hawkinson, Gusecki, Johnu, they can still put a hole in your lineups. Plenty of those guys, they bust, but a Kelsey will never bust. Now, RBs and wide receivers, of course, can bust, but by the by the beginning of the season or by the, the midway point of the season, you're going to get waiver wire claims. You're going to get all that to the point where you're going to have two running backs deep, two wide receivers deep, and you're going to have a pretty good flex. And I would take whoever you're putting in that flex, whether that's like a Robbie Anderson type guy, Jameson Crowder, I would take that nine times out of 10 over a guy like Gasecki or Jonu Smith or Noah Fant that are inconsistent all the time. So that advantage you're gaining from being able to, to have an RB slash wide receiver in your tight end spot, that, that type of production, and then you have the RB, RB, wide receiver, wide receiver, and then flex you're gaining that much of an edge over your opponents. Now, if all of that went in one year, not the other, because I know that that was kind of uh, confusing. It was kind of, I, I don't know how else to explain it better, but to put it into simple terms, he ended up winning a lot of fantasy chips. He, uh, on the FFPC, which is the Fantasy Football Players Championship, something like that, it's a website that has a bunch of best ball drafts. They input all that data. They're big, high stakes leagues, like $250 buy-in. 16% of the championship teams had Travis Kelsey, which was the fifth highest owner percentage among championship teams. The other guys that were in front of him were Kiki Kuti, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, and Stefan Diggs. So you're getting top five championship owner percentage out of your tight end. And we even saw domin similar domination from Darren Waller. He also was somebody that was on championship teams. He was on 12% of championship teams as a 21st player on that list. So not quite as elite, but he's right there with them. Now I faded Darren Waller, but that's that's a miss that I can eat. I'm not taking any of those guys uh, in the middle rounds. Darren Waller was the tight end five. I looked back I think people were taking Ertz over him. They were taking Andrews over him. They were taking Kittle and Kelsey over him. I'm not going to take somebody at tight end five because I know that most of those guys usually miss. That's how you get a guy like Ertz. Andrews was, didn't, uh, wasn't a great hit this year. You had Evan Ingram, who wasn't a great hit this year. You had a lot of those guys in the middle rounds when I'd rather just take my Fant, Hawkinson, Gasecki, and then pass that. You can even get Tunyon off waivers. You can get Logan Thomas off waivers. So to me, I, I'll never get a guy like Waller. But what he does is he represents the kind of edge you get from a elite tight end. Kelsey Waller and Kittle are going to be guys that I think that I'm going to have on more teams than I've had on in the past. We're going to start prioritizing those elite tight ends on this channel. Now this next one is more dynasty related than it is seasonal, but it still holds true for the 2020 fantasy season and what I've learned and it's talent 
over landing spot, talent over landing spot all fucking day. It's talent greater than, greater than, greater than sign, greater than sign to infinity and then landing spot. Because this is where I, I probably had some of my biggest whiffs was in the dynasty off season when I overvalued the landing spot for the incoming rookies. My pre-draft rankings, this is between, you had the combine, then the, the draft. So I had combine rankings, draft rankings. Now, these aren't readily available on Twitter or on YouTube because at the time I didn't have my own YouTube fantasy channel where I can archive my takes and put all of them out there for everyone to see. So a lot of these rankings are just from my notes in my phone. I might, I might put them on the screen. I'm not sure yet. Uh, I'll see if I have the screenshots, but from what I, I just went in my notes and I saw, I had my RBs as Jonathan Taylor, Swift, Akers, Dobbins, CEH, Gibson as my top six after the combine. Remember, JT looked great, Swift looked great, Akers looked great, Dobbins looked great. CH was slow, but he has receiving upside, played at LSU. And then Gibson had receiving out of his ass at Memphis, strong, physical, fast, size. He's got it all. It's just he had a lack of touches in college, but I still really liked him as an upside guy that has Saquon Barkley, Joe Mixon, Ezekiel Elliott in his range of outcomes. And honestly, those rankings today are pretty accurate after the draft. And I think where I went wrong was after the draft is focusing too much on landing spot. After the draft, I went JT. So JT at one, still great. CEH at two though. I moved CEH all the way from five to two. In my opinion, I had JT, then Swift, Akers, Dobbins in, another, in the second tier. And then the third tier was CEH and Gibson. So to move Swift from the top of tier two to the bottom of tier three is insane to me. There, That should have, or at the top of tier three, that should just sort of never have happened. Just because he goes to Detroit, just because of the decal on his helmet says the Lions, just because Matt Patricia is a committee guy, just because Carryon Johnson is all there, you don't want to you don't want to let that sway your evals too much. I know right after the draft is where we're gonna get into that trap, and I really want to make this video and document it because I don't want to get too caught up with this in the draft season. When the draft season comes around, I'm gonna have my pre-draft rankings, and not much is going to change anything past that. Swift should have never have gotten moved to RB5 to RB2. He's a stud. He had receiving work at Georgia. He's fast. He has the size. He not only has the receiving work at Georgia, but he played with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. Out outworked both of those guys in his freshman year, or outworked both of them in the receiving game. They they outplayed him in the rushing game, but he even, I think he averaged the most yards per carry out of those three backs. So his prospect profile is bulletproof. And in that same breath, CEH shouldn't have leapfrogged those stud prospects. I knew JT, Swift, Akers, and Dobbins were all can't miss prospects. And just because CEH got drafted to the Chiefs, which is the most explosive offense in the NFL, you just, you can't just start drooling and you see it chiefs kareem hunt that's what i did i was like oh he has a very similar profile to kareem hunt but guys that look like Clyde Edwards don't hit at a high rate he was he was small he's slow he's not super agile he does have burst but his range of outcomes those guys swift acres dobbins jt they have guys like saquon barkley adrian peterson jt ezekiel elliott joe mixon in their range of outcomes Clyde Edwards is more james white Mark Ingram, small explosive backs. And not only that, I think I got too caught up in the landing spot itself and not draft capital. I think draft capital is more valuable than, than landing spot because I got so wrapped up in the Chiefs just took him at first or in the first round. Swift was a second round guy. In reality, Swift was picked two picks after Clyde Rizzler. Clyde Rizzler goes at 32nd, Swift goes at 35th. So in hindsight, we have talent, then we have draft capital, then way at the bottom, we have landing spot. I don't even want to, I don't even care now that I've seen everything, I've seen it all, I don't even care about quarterback, running back, wide receiver, GM. I don't care about any of it because it's all so fluid in the NFL. Everything's changing all the fucking time in the NFL. Who, if you, if I came to you in a time machine and I told you Justin Herbert would be sick, Josh Allen would be sick, Jalen Hurts would be sick, 
365 days ago, you wouldn't believe any of it because anything can happen in the NFL and we can only project so much. I was fading Jerry Judy because I thought Corlin Sutton was the guy. He gets a, a torn ACL injury. Now, Judy didn't do the most with that opportunity, but to project him for less opportunity because Sorton Sutton was there, anything could happen. He could have gotten traded. He could have underperformed in a second year, kind of like what Michael Gallup just did or in his third year, like what Mal Michael Gallup just did. And same thing with Antonio Gibson. I loved him coming out of school, but he goes to the, at the time, Washington Redskins, and I loved Geist even more. For those of you that are OG subscribers to the channel, you know I used to have a Geist jersey in the background, but he had those allegations happen. He got fucking cut. All that happened. And because he moved on, then I was all in on Antonio Gibson, but I wish I was all in before that. I wish that I, I stayed. I wish I stood pat and I just trusted that he's a talented player and he'll find his touches. Now with that, that's a lot of dynasty running back talk. And I think that it also kind of, we can kind of squeeze our way into this next lesson, which is fading wide receivers on new teams, which goes hand in hand with the new landing spot. Now, this is what I fell into the trap with with Stephon Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins. These were both guys that went from DeAndre Hopkins went for the Texans. He goes to the Cardinals. Diggs goes from the Vikings to the Bills. I had Hopkins at wide receiver nine. I had Diggs at wide receiver 30, which is similar. It's not too far off ADP. Hop was like wide receiver five. I was significantly lower on Hop. Diggs was like wide receiver 27. I wasn't super low on him, but I was like right at market price, but I should have been higher. If you asked me in the summer, if we were doing a pickup game between two football teams and we were just simply picking it like we're doing a pickup game, Stephon Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins wouldn't make it past the 10th wide receiver off the board. So with that in mind, how in fantasy football could you pass up on that talent all the way to wide receiver 30 with, with a guy like Stephon Diggs? Or we've seen DeAndre Hopkins in the past. We know he's a top five wide receiver. How could I have him at wide receiver nine? I think I was just really focusing in on the landing spot. Josh Allen had a lot of questions. People didn't want to get burned by the next OBJ. It was really the OBJ thing because OBJ, he goes from the Giants, he goes to the Browns. He's getting picked at the, the turn in drafts. This was 2019, the summer of 2019. So he goes to the Browns and everybody's still like jumping on him. They think that Baker's going to take that next step and he, he kills everybody. It's just just one of the biggest busts of all time or not one of the biggest busts but it was a tough season for him and because of that the the new consensus was any wide receiver that goes to a new team you have to fade him he's not going to do as well as he was doing with his old team because he's going to learn new routes he's with his quarterback and on top of that covid there's not going to be as many training sessions with all that and all those narratives were bullshit because not only were the, the wide receivers on new teams were fine but the rookie wide receivers on new teams were arguably better than the running backs you had justin jefferson brandon Ayuk, cd lamb all these wide receivers exceed expectations in a year like this is insane and it, it plays to the point that just focus on the talent just focus on the talent and everything else will fall in line don't focus on bullshit narratives about corona don't focus on bullshit narratives about them being the next obj you don't want to focus on any of that outside noise because that's what your league mates are listening to i wish that i just it, i wish i could just go back in time and just simply be like stefan Diggs at wide receiver 30 that's just not right that just it's not right because stefan Diggs. if you look at him he's one of the greatest route runners in the league right now and even in minnesota he was simply a top 10 wide receiver based on his route running, based on his playmaking ability. He was just there with Adam Thielen. And with that, we have our last lesson, which I wish I just faded the consensus more often. If I faded everybody thinking that Corona would affect wide receivers having bad games and, and not getting the rapport with the quarterbacks, and I was just higher on rookies and I just moved CD Lamb just that higher from my boards. I lose Justin Jefferson just higher from my boards and I got them on my bench. I would have won in a bunch of leagues. If I got Stephon Diggs, I would have won a bunch of leagues because everybody, Stephon Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins are like, okay, it's going to happen. The same thing that happened to OBJ. And once the consensus starts thinking these things and they start building these narratives to not draft players, especially talented players, then at that point, it just makes sense to go and draft it. And I call this lesson rolling with the punches slash accepting reality, where you just want to stay fluid in fantasy football and you want to zig when other people zag. And I wish that I just accepted what was going on in the NFL and fantasy sooner. So when Leonard, Fournette, when Leonard Fournette goes to the Buccaneers, I'm a huge Leonard Fournette guy, or I was in the summer. I thought that he was set up to be great. And 
James Robinson being great on the Jaguars is enough of a win for me. James Robinson, in my opinion, is worse than Leonard Fournette as a runner. He goes to the Jaguars, he gets all the work in the in the world, and he exceeds expectations. I think the same thing would happen to Leonard Fournette if he never got cut. He stays in Jacksonville, he gets all the work in the world, and he would have done as good as James Robinson and finished as a top 10 running back. So that whole case that I laid out for Leonard Fournette before the season started, all fine. The problem is that once he gets moved to the Buccaneers, and the narrative and the case that you make is completely flipped upside down, and it's now... He's on Tampa Bay. He's the 1B in Tampa Bay behind Ronald Jones. He has to learn the whole playbook. He's he's literally at a disadvantage. And I still had him in my top 20 running backs. And I was taking him in the second round. Well, I got him in like the second or third round from Jacksonville. But once he got traded, I should have been looking around, see if anybody still wanted him. Maybe they were higher on him. Because there were some reports out there where people even thought maybe he was the same value or even more at that point. So at that point, you have to be water, flip on your head, just be okay with pivoting during fantasy. You know what I mean? Just be okay. Don't get so fucking caught up in your waves and shit. Just be fluid because that's probably the biggest advantage that you could get in fantasy football is just being fluid and accepting what's going on. The other the other example I had of this is early in the season, I remember coming out with a trade video. Let me say this real quick. A lot of my trade videos, if you look at my, my trade videos, I think a lot of them are great suggestions, but this one in particular early in the season, early in the season, this one was rough where I had DJ Moore as a buy and Diggs as a sell. Now, the reasoning for this was I had DJ Moore as a top eight, top 10 wide receiver, and I had Diggs outside my top 20, and Diggs was exceeding expectations. DJ Moore was under exceeding expectations. So I thought eventually it'd come to this middle where you trade Diggs at this high point, he's gonna regress. You trade you trade for DJ Moore at this low point and, and it regresses. But what ended up happening is they just went further and further apart. And at that point, instead of relying on what I thought in the offseason, you should just rely on what's actually happening in front of you and go from there. That's what that's how if you jumped on Will Fuller in week two or three, you now have a wide receiver one. You have to jump on these things soon before the market reacts. So if you just roll with the punches, you accept what's actually going on, you don't stay so stubborn you can get a lot of value in fantasy football. It's kind of what I'm trying to say. If you made it this far, man, I appreciate it. Make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like, comment, join the Discord. On the Discord, it's kind of like the, I would say the the premium lounge, the, the, the place where if you really wanna be a part of this community, that's the place to be at. On the Discord, we're gonna have subscriber leagues. We're gonna have March Madness brackets. We have talk channels for football, dynasty, uh, rookie drafts. We have basketball chat channels we got all that type of stuff going on so make sure you get in on that be a part of this community right now we're we're, we're pretty small but I, I got i got hope that we're gonna get there i think that a lot of these videos they're fun to make everybody's been reacting pretty nicely to them unless if i come at the bills mafia the bills mafia is not to be fucked with now as always before i leave make sure you follow me at ron Stewart underscore on twitter and i'll see you guys in the next one